this, I'll be 60 years old. I joined the Army in 1982, and apparently I was discharged in 1990, but that ain't on paper, you're not going to see a record of that, and it really wasn't my choice. During my career, I saw a lot of things. In 1988, I saw S-4. Prior to that, I saw Area 51, and I was stationed there for a time. Tonight, we hear part two of my time with Area 51 Security Supervisor B.J. Evans. That's coming right up on My Alien Life. My Alien Life is recorded live from atop the Northern Rocky Mountains and is available on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, and everywhere fine podcasts are found. My website is at www.myalienlifepodcast.com. There you will find my email address, all previously recorded shows, and more. I am Cameron Brower. This is My Alien Life, and the podcast starts right now. My Alien Life Podcast. guest tonight is an army veteran who spent eight years serving in four different countries around the world. In 1987, he earned a top secret clearance he thought would be his ticket to retirement and a dream home in Florida. What came next was a nightmarish two-year assignment and a fear the government wouldn't let him leave his job. One day in December 1990, he was stripped of his credentials and put on a bus to Las Vegas. What you'll hear next is an excerpt almost six recorded hours of conversation I had with Mr. B.J. Evans in the last few months. He was very reluctant to answer questions, so I let him talk. He stated he had problems with anxiety and felt better driving. Much of Mr. Evans' narrative took place while he was driving. On tonight's show, you'll hear Mr. Evans talk about his job and life at Area 51. I simply asked, what was it like? What you'll hear next are five recorded phone calls from a man I've never met. He took the liberty of electronically altering his voice with a phone app provided by a friend in Las Vegas. BJ Evans is on the show tonight. I'm Cameron Brower, and this is My Alien Life. Last time we talked, you asked me, what was the most amazing thing that I saw? Assuming you mean at Area 51 or S4, we haven't talked too much about S4, but we'll get to that. 
Yeah. Well, there was a lot of things. And, you know, I don't know how to rate them for you. I don't know if you, what you're going to think is exciting or what, what I think is exciting. It might be two different things, but, but, yeah, I got to see some stuff. And I got to see a lot of things that, that, uh, you know, nobody's going to believe it, but, you know, it is what it is. Here we are. So let's, let's talk about the thing. There was this time that, uh, you know, I, I felt like I was probably doing a really, really good job, a decent job. And uh, so, you know, there's some opportunity there for you for, for advancement probably, but boy, I didn't see a lot of advancement. But there were times when, when there were things that I did that, that you know, that I probably deserved something a little bit better. And I think this was one of those things. Um, but then again, it could have been that they needed a bunch of bodies to help out. So, so you can decide for yourself whether I deserved some sort of special treatment or this was just one of those times when when I was just another warm body to fill a, fill a spot there at the ranch. So, me and, me and part of the detail that I was with, the security detail, we got a notice that, that we were supposed to show up at one of the buildings and as a group. Now, usually it was, you know, we would, we would take our, our crew out there, we would do our jobs, but this time we were supposed to be there as a group some sort of security detail so we figured something big was coming up and we had heard a few things but but nothing that was really really worth mentioning however i do think that from time to time they have events there that that you know they have some dignitaries and whatnot that show up and and uh, not necessarily the public but there, there may be some big time contractors people that spend a lot of money and uh invest a lot of time with, a, with our armed services maybe, you know. Um, those companies that build the uh, rockets and those companies build the uh, uh, missiles and, and different defense systems and things like that that, that uh, everybody says that they're, they're testing out and, and developing out there at Area 51, you know. So this one of those times, we're supposed to be there at 0700. We all got up real early, had breakfast, and we wandered over as a group to building. Now when I say building, you know, we weren't allowed in a lot of these places, you know, only only in portions of them, and only if we had a, a detail that we had a bunch of boys that we were gonna, we were gonna do, some, do some work on the building and we had to watch those boys. But on this occasion, you know, they, they actually told us to be there at 0700 and they actually gave the building a name. They gave it a name. And they called it the Airframe Center. Airframe Center. They wanted us to all go over there and meet them as a group at the Airframe Center. Now, we didn't know who we were going to be talking to once we got there. But we walked over. And the building was wide open. And it was a big old airplane hangar of some sort. Except for that one thing that we would see, you know, I'd seen this before, and you know that. The building had a big circle right in the middle of it, with red paint 
Or I could say it was red paint, but it didn't seem like red paint because it was part of the part of the building and it was part of the floor. It didn't really look like it had ever been painted on. It just it just looked like it was part of the floor, if you know what I'm saying. And so we walked in the building, we knew we weren't ever supposed to cross those red lines. We were supposed to stay on the outside of the red line. And we did. So we're standing there and they, they started to give us instructions and whatnot. So what was going to be happening was, was there was going to be some, some people coming and we were going to provide a security detail and basically, excuse me, and basically in the, the open end of the building, we're supposed to stand along the red line. There was 20 of us. And basically just stand on that red line, keep a mouth shut, look straight ahead outside the building, don't turn around and look all official-like. And they were gonna give us some special uniforms. And they did, they did. A couple days later, we had those special uniforms, but we are supposed to just stand there, keep our mouths shut. And we were supposed to stand there, the door would open. We were supposed to stand there during whatever sort of, whatever sort of presentation they were gonna be gonna give. We are supposed to stand there with the door open. And then when the door finally closed, Again, we will be done. And that's all there was to it. He said we might have to stand there for three, four hours. And I was like, three, four hours, man. You know, I, I, I was in pretty good shape then. A little bit worn out, but pretty good shape. Some of these guys, I don't really think they can stand there for three, four hours. So they come, we got our uniforms. Now, I never seen no uniform like this before, man. It was just a solid black uniform. And basically it was black shoes, black pants. We used our own shoes, but black pants, black shirt. It was a short sleeve shirt. Kind of like, I guess you could call it polo style. And then they gave us some special ID badges. And they hung on some lanyards around our neck. And that was it. That's all we were supposed to do. Stand along that line, that round line, that curved line in front of this big air hangar at the airframe center. Those doors were supposed to come open. We would stand there and then we got to leave once the doors were closed again. So it didn't sound too bad. So they came, we put on these uniforms. And we all kind of looked the same. We looked at each other and, you know, we were all about the same size and all had the same hair color, brown. And, you know, we all just looked the same. And uh, we didn't think nothing of it. And we had we had these these new ID badges that we hung around our neck on these blue lanyards. Blue lanyards on black uniform. And basically... All of this said on they had a picture on there. Had some kind of barcode. It had the date. And that's it, man. That's it. That's all that was on these land. So we got there. I guess it was before 8 o'clock because it was going to start at 7 a.m. Or it, I'm sorry, 10 a.m. was going to start. So we got there at 8 a.m. And we just hung around. Stood there with 
with the new uniforms, with the with the new with the new badges on the on the lanyard. And there was a few guys around there, and we could hear some things going on outside, and some vehicles that were pulling up and whatnot. And you know, we just stood there. The door was closed when we got there. We went in through a different entrance. They guided us in there, and, and they lined us up and spaced us, spaced us apart about maybe eight to ten feet apart. Looked real nice. We had to, told us to put our hands behind our back and just stare out that door. That was a big one. That was a big door. I don't know what they what they kept in that building, but that was one big ass door that was straight big door. So we stood there and probably for about maybe maybe a half hour. We stood there. They said we could talk. We were allowed to talk and we just kinda talked and made some jokes and, and laughed and and uh, they said they would, they would, we would know when that door was going to come up. And when that door came up, we were supposed to keep our mouth shut during the whole time. And whatever went on, we were just to look forward. We weren't to ever to turn around. We weren't ever to, to turn our heads, just keep looking forward. And we know those were orders. If they told us to do something, Area 51, we would do it. Yes, sir, we would do it. So then the time came. Then the time came. So a couple guys that were around earlier, they came walking through the building. And there was sort of a little command shed that we called out in front of the building by the door. And they, they walked in there and I saw one of the guys flip the switch or whatever they do to open those big doors. And that big door from the ground up folded right up just like a big accordion right up to the ceiling you could hardly see any of it it was one of the most amazing things that i had seen to that point i mean it was one high-tech amazing building and the door was wide open and without our knowledge while we were in that building they had pulled up some some bleachers there maybe maybe about eight tall and they had some chairs out front and they had kind of, I wouldn't call it a podium, but a place where somebody could stand up higher and, and possibly speak, and there was a couple of gentlemen, a couple of dudes there, and, and they were standing, and uh, they were facing those bleachers with, uh, and those chairs, folding chairs with a bunch of people, and the odd thing was, they were looking right at us. They were looking right at us. Now, what, what were we doing? No, there was nothing there for them, else, them to see. Just a bunch of bunch of guys in some black black uniforms. Even though we looked good, there was nothing to see. But they were looking right at us. Well, they were looking through us. They were looking through us into the building. And they were speechless. Everything went quiet. They'd been talking, you could hear them when those doors were coming up, and everything went quiet. And I talked to these boys that we were working with later on, and we all wanted to turn around because they was looking at something. They were looking at something right behind us, and at that moment, I could feel it. I could feel there was something there behind us where there was empty space before, no more empty space, there was something big, something substantial right behind us. And these, these boys, and 
There was maybe 50 of them. They were looking right at us, right through us, and they were looking at something right behind us. And I really wanted to turn around. Then there was one of these boys up on the stage, and he started talking, and you could hear you could hear him everywhere. You could hear him everywhere, man. You could hear him everywhere. And he was talking. I, I couldn't see any speakers, man. I couldn't see no microphone, but he was talking, and and some of the shit he was saying, I, it just blew my mind. Blew my mind, man. He was talking about the future of America and how everything was going to be changing. I wish I wish I could remember all what he said, but how everything was going to be different and how these boys that were standing there were looking at the future and that they were their whole world was going to change and, and everything that they had known before about about defense and, and, and flight was going to be different. It's going to be different, and they're going to be they're going to be adjustments to be made and, and they're gonna be they're gonna be thinking about the world in a whole different way. No, I, I kept thinking, you know, what's going on? I wanna see I wanna look at this thing behind me, but there's no way I could turn around what was behind me. And I kept thinking about this, you know, this circle. And it felt like I could almost reach back and I could touch something right behind me. But there's no way it was gonna reach my hand back. I mean, I was, I don't know if I could even move. I don't know if I could, I don't know if I could move if I wanted to move. I don't know if I could actually, I don't think I could move. I started wondering what these other guys were thinking about. My heart was pounding and pounding. And more or less I was paralyzed, maybe, maybe it was just in my mind, but I didn't know what to do, I couldn't move. But I knew I had to stand there, and I stood there. And I just concentrated on just staying awake because it was just so exhausting having my heart pounding knowing there was something big behind me. These folks were looking at it, and you know what what it was gonna be you know what 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 could it be what could what could they couldn't have brought anything inside that room without us knowing it if they wanted to then they thought about the the big elevators that i took in, the, in those other hangars i thought that's gotta be it man that's gotta be it they drug something up from underground and it's behind me right now and it came up through some sort of silent elevator system and I didn't hear it and these boys next to me to my right and my left didn't hear it what could it be? it was terrifying man it was terrifying to know that there was technology out there that I had no idea how it worked I had no idea what it was and I had no idea how I was going to get through how long did they say? Two to three hours, maybe more? So this guy on the podium, he started, kept talking. Kept talking about the futures here today and, and you know, it's part of the national security and, you know, I can't 
see a lot about it. I don't think I can see a lot about it. But he went on talking. Then they got another boy up there. He started talking. He must have been some sort of, of science person from Area 51. Some kind of engineer from somewhere. I don't know. But he started talking about propulsion systems and, and gravity shock waves and, and different ways of looking at gravity and how gravity is at our fingertips and gravity is, is something that we've needed to harness for for a hundred years and, and to bring us into the the 21st century and, and we finally we finally had that and we're able to do it. And he went on and on and on about gravity and propulsion and and uh, the ability to, to to be at two places at the same time. That's stuck in my mind. How how man, how can you be in two places at the same time? Two places at the same time. It just echoed in my mind over and over and over, man. You know? So he went on. He must have went on for for close to an hour. And then they had a couple guys that got up there and they started to answer questions. And let me tell you what, these boys had a lot of questions. They were asking questions left and right. And I've never heard such questions. You know, they, they were they were talking about things that I've never heard of. And I wish I could have remembered because I could have could have went back and maybe later on, even now, look some of that stuff up and, and, and try to figure out what they were talking about. But not so much about what they were talking about, but but what it was behind me that they were talking about. It was back then. I could feel it. And, you know, one of the things that was really different about it was, I mean, I, it was almost that I could feel some sort of, some sort of like static electricity. No, it wasn't static electricity. It was more like a, more like just a slight little nudge from my heel all the way to the top of my head, all down my back and the back of my legs. I could feel something just kind of pressing against me, kind of, kind of in a, in a, in a, in throbbing motion that, that made some sort of pattern. And it was the same thing. It was, I started counting my head. It was like, one, two, three. One, two. One, two, three. One, two. And if it wasn't for that same persistent on and on and on and on and off again pattern, I wouldn't have found nothing of it. But it was a definite pattern that was coming from something behind me. There was no noise. Just this feel of pressure. It was almost like some sort of strange heartbeat that wasn't my own. Because my heart was going, man. It was going 100 miles an hour. And whatever this thing was behind me, it was making these, these, this pattern, and it was a pattern, man. You know, that's all I can say about it. And I was listening to these boys and their questions, and I was, I was trying to analyze this pattern that was to my back. Now my hands behind my back, and I could feel it against the edges of my, my palm, my hand. There was something back there, man. A million sixteen different things went through my mind. 
Cause I wonder what the hell's going on behind me. And these boys are asking questions as fast as fast as they can. And they're asking them so fast and so furious that uh, you know that was that was kind of got me too. It was you know these guys are excited and. You know, this thing's right behind me. I have no idea what it was. But they're excited. And when they're not asking questions, looking at these two guys who are answering all these questions, they were looking right at us the whole time. You know, so there was a couple people in that crowd that had, they had their eyes wide open. I mean, it was, they were just, they couldn't take their eyes off us and what was behind us. And then they start talking about a demonstration. A demonstration. Was I gonna get to see this demonstration? I don't know, man. Was I gonna see it? You know, all of a sudden I was expecting to see something outside this hangar come floating by, maybe some sort of anti-gravity vehicle, I don't know. One of these guys, he, he said, so are we ready? Something to that effect. Another guy came up on the podium, and he had what looked like a key file for a car. I mean, he was, I could hardly see it. It wasn't very big. And they were all looking at this thing, and it looked like one of them was basically had it in his hand just like if he was ready to open a car door. And he pushed a button. He pushed a button, and I looked out there as far as I could see, and I couldn't see anything. I expected something to come flying in, or maybe, I don't know what. But you know what happened? Just like if there was, maybe somebody took a rope and pressed it, stretched it out behind my legs and behind my, my tendons, my Achilles tendons, I felt what felt like a rope touching the back of my ankle, right on that Achilles tendon. And I felt that pressure start to go up the back of my leg, and it was maybe, maybe, wasn't maybe a half inch wide, and it started going up the back of my leg, the back of my thighs, up to my lower back, up my back, and then I felt it stop. Right on the back of my head about even of my chin. Just like if somebody took a little line, a rope, and pressed it against the back of my head. And my heart was racing. I was sweating. I could feel I could feel the sweat going down my face. And I looked at these boys, they're looking right at me. Well, right through me. And most of them, their mouths were wide open. Wide open. And I was scared, man. I was scared. What are these boys looking at? What are you boys looking at? That's all I could think. What's going on behind me? I was trying to read their faces. I was trying to read their eyes, trying to figure out what was going on behind me. I couldn't do it, man. There was something back there. Something I wasn't supposed to see, something I wasn't supposed to know about. And these guys must have been high-level dudes, man. 
And they were shocked, man. They were shocked. Not as much as me, man. Because this thing was touching me. Whatever was behind me, man, was touching me. And I didn't know what it was going to do. I didn't know if I was going to die. I didn't know if I was going to walk out of there later. I couldn't believe it, man. What had I got myself into by joining an army? Sorry, man. Got myself worked up. I gotta go take a ride. So, what was I saying? Me and these boys, we was... We were in some sort of demonstration. I don't know what it was, man. But I was standing there. I could feel this thing touching the back of my head. Just right in the back of my head on the other side of my chin. But it was still making that pattern, man. That, that pulse pattern, I could feel it. And that's how I knew it was that same thing. And these old boys who were watching this demonstration, they were looking at me, looking right through me. And they were wide-eyed, open-mouthed. They could not believe what they were seeing. And I couldn't believe that I was standing there and, and what the hell made me decide to join the army back. Oh my, oh, what a mess I was in there, man. What a stressful situation. And this was something that obviously I wasn't going to get no about. I wasn't going to get no about it. I wasn't going to get a, get a, get a, get a briefing on what was going on that day. But, you know, these guys, obviously high level officials, maybe engineers and whatnot, they were there by some kind of personal invitation. They were able to watch this, watch me watch it, watch me watch them. But I was scared to death, man. I didn't know how long. I, I must have burned. 10,000 calories just standing there, man. My heart was pounding. I was sweating. I must have looked like quite a sight, but, but these guys, they, as far as I was concerned, they didn't know, or they didn't see me there at all. I mean, I was not even there at all to them. I mean, initially, yes, I'm sure that they knew we and were aware we were there, but as time dragged, dragged on, which it did, it did, it seemed like I was there an awful long time. It seemed I was there for, for a week, not three, four hours. But I was standing there and they were they were just watching. Then again, there was these two guys that had this key fob or whatever it was in their hand. It was a small little thing. I just remember, I remember guy with the key fob said, I think he said, or this, and he looked down, and he moved his hand like he was pushing the key fob, and I felt that line across the back of my head go vertical, the whole length of my body, right dead center down my body, and I, my, my mind was just, kill me now, man. Because I don't know if I can take it any, any longer, but I can feel this pulsation like a rope on it right down the center of my, right, right from the top of my head to the crack of my ass, and I can feel it going right through the 
floor beneath my feet. There was this pulsation and this pattern that was kept kept going on. One, two, three. One, two. I said, what next, man? What is going on? And if these guys look surprised before, you should see them now. Oh my god. There was a couple of them with with with, with shitting ear to ear green. But most of them were just shocked, man. They were just shocked. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. And I thought, is this some sort of human sacrifice? Am I I'm gonna I'm gonna die because of they're doing some kind of demonstration? Because as you know, people have been there fifty one, they've been known to disappear, nobody can. Nobody cares. So I was like, fuck, man. Take me right now. What next? What next, man? I just, I, I just thought I was going to just drop dead right there. And I would have been happy to do so because at that point in time, I don't think I could have taken it. So a couple of guys up there with the guy with the key fob, they all started talking and they took turns talking. And for the life of me, my heart was pounding. There was ringing in my ears. I could only, I couldn't even hear. I could just hear my ears ringing. I was trying to make out what they were saying. The only reason I wanted to know what they were saying, man, was because I, I wanted to know what was in stake, what was in it for me, man. Cause I'd had enough at that point. I thought if I get it, if I make it out of here alive, this is my last day in the army, man. This is my last fucking day in the army. I am out of here. Then I heard him say this. He said something about so far what we've harnessed, we find it 100% safe. One hundred percent safe, man. So at that moment, it made me feel so much better that it was safe. At least, at least I felt better from for a few minutes. You know, that was something. I thought, well, I might be able to make it after all. And there was, it was just a big relief, a big load off my chest at that at that moment, man. <coughs> You know, it's after about 10 minutes, I started to get my breath back, and, and there was people asking questions, and, and there was people, you know, I could still feel this thing down the back of my head all the way down my back. I could feel that pulsation, that pattern, that same old pattern, but, you know, I'm still terribly frightened, still scared out of my mind, but not as bad kept echoing in my mind that this thing was 100% safe from what they knew so far. So what did they know so far? Well, I don't know anything. What, what, what is this thing, man? You know, all the things I heard about the ranch here 51, and, and I just, I just thought it's got to be some kind of big spacecraft or a time machine or, or something, man. 
say something about 95% the speed of light. 95% the speed of light. And then he said, I, th I feel like that's the best we're ever going to do. You could have knocked me over with a feather there, man. I'm no scientist, but 95% the speed of light, man, that is... <laughs> That's hauling ass, man. That is hauling ass, man. So this thing, I'm I'm thinking it must be some kind of spacecraft, man. That'll go 90, 98, 95 percent speed of light, and whatever it is, it's touching me in the back. Like, well, is it radioactive? You know, what is this? Is some kind of <coughs> some kind of gravity beam touching my back of my head and my back? What is it, man? And then the guys kind of looked like they was talking to each other. The guy pressed the key fob again, and I could feel the pressure, the whole pressure, my whole back this time, my whole whole backside, man, from, from the heels underneath my feet, I can feel my bottoms of my feet pulsating that same rhythm pattern. And the guys who are all wide-eyed and, and, and mouths wide open, they seem to relax a bit. What is this thing, man? You know, all things I heard about the ranch here in 51 and and I just, I just thought it's got to be some kind of big spacecraft or a time machine or something, man. You know? And then I heard him say something about 95% the speed of light. 95% the speed of light. And then he said, I, th I feel that that's the best we're ever going to do. You could have knocked me over with a feather there, man. I'm no scientist, but 95% of the speed of light, man, that is... <coughs> that's hauling ass, man. That is hauling ass, man. So this thing... I'm, I'm thinking it must be some kind of spacecraft, man. That'll go 90, 98, 95% speed of light. And whatever it is, it's touching me in the back. I'm like, well, is it radioactive? You know, what is this? Is it some kind of, <coughs> some kind of gravity beam touching my back of my head and my back? What is it, man? And then the guys kind of looked like they was talking to each other. The guy pressed the key fob again. And I could feel the pressure, the whole pressure, my whole back this time. My whole, whole backside, man. From, from the heels underneath my feet, I could feel my bottoms of my feet pulsating that same rhythm pattern. 
guys who are all wide-eyed and, and, and mouths wide open, they seem to relax a bit. Now, this, this made my heart beat a little harder. And I thought, well, they, they, they're not impressed as much by whatever's going on behind me, so that helped me relax just a little bit, even though I didn't know what this pressure was behind me what this rhythm pattern was 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 pressing against my body was but i'll tell you what man i'll tell you what i thought again if i get out of this i'm gonna get out of the army and i'm gonna go to the doctor and i'm gonna get a physical from top to bottom i want to be make sure that i'm okay man because this is just the strangest thing you know you know and then Right after they push that button, I could feel that all down my back. I heard this, man. God is my witness. I heard, I heard cloaking and invisibility, capability, capability. Invisibility, man. Can you imagine? Can you imagine invisibility? Can you imagine? 95% light speed, something invisible flying, 95% light speed and invisibility. And I think I remember him saying something about being able to be in two places at one time. Can you imagine that, man? So I'm standing there taking all this in. <coughs> and he starts talking about invisibility. And these guys, they're all looking straight at me. And they're kind of all relaxed and whatnot. A couple of them were even talking to each other and, and looking back and forth. And he starts talking about invisibility and I see him push that key fob again. The other two guys look at the key fob. And I could tell whatever they was looking at wasn't there no more because they were looking around. And then they started talking to each other and they were all excited and they were looking around and they were looking around. Then the guy hit the key fob again. And the mouths dropped wide open. Their eyes were wide, man. He hit that key fob again. And I could tell whatever they saw there wasn't there no more. Because they're looking all around. And they're talking. They're all excited and whatnot. <laughs> and the fourth guy joined them up on the podium. Now this guy wasn't military for sure. These almost everybody there had military uniforms on. A couple of them had the same exact uniforms that we was wearing. <coughs> but this fourth guy joins him up there, and he's got a box, man. He's got a box. It's just a regular cardboard box. It's about two feet long, probably about a foot wide by a foot. And he opens the box, and these guys up on the podium reach in and they pull out some sunglasses or whatnot. They look like sunglasses to me. Then just regular old looking, like kind of like some nice wraparound sunglasses. Look kind of modern for back then, you know. You know, it's pretty common now, but back then looked a little bit more modern than, than you know, kind of like what people wear nowadays. Some wraparound sunglasses. They were black, and it looked like they were all one piece, though, man. 
all one piece. The Whatever the lens was made out of, everything else was made out of that too. The bows, but they were sharp looking, man. They, they looked really awesome. Just one, one, one piece glasses. They didn't fold or nothing like that. But really high, high gloss. Look like some really high quality glass. Would like to have myself a pair of those sunglasses, man. So three guys up on the podium, they put on sunglasses. The guy that had the box put on the sunglasses. Then he proceeded to go down to the crowd. And everybody kind of came down and they were all standing down on the ground. Everybody's standing up. Nobody was sitting no more. And they started putting on these sunglasses, man. First thing they did, put on these sunglasses. They were looking right in my way. Whatever's right behind us, me and the boys. I thought, man, is that eye protection? Am I going to get a pair of sunglasses to protect my eyes from whatever's going on? <coughs> no. They didn't give me no sunglasses or me, me and my boys no sunglasses. But they would put on these sunglasses, man. And they looked right through us. They were looking right at us. And then I watched these boys. They would take the sunglasses off, put them back on, take them off, put them back on. Because whatever they were looking at changed dramatically and drastically when they had the sunglasses on and when they had the sunglasses off. Because they could see something, man, that, that I don't know what they could see, man. The guy hit the key fob button again. Right then, everybody took the sunglasses off. And then they put the sunglasses on, and they kept them on, man. And this guy starts talking about... He starts talking about, again, being in two places at once, man. These guys had all these sunglasses on, and were just standing there, frozen, looking right through us. And I know that the guy with the key fob, he hit the button several times. I'm not sure what they saw or what it meant for them to be in two different places at once. But there wasn't a word, man. Everybody just looked straight ahead and they looked at these guys. They looked right through these us with these sunglasses on. Two places at once. Can you imagine that, man? You know, I have a hard enough time being here right now. You know? Well, back then, I had a hard enough time just being in the Army and living day to day. How could you possibly be at two places at once, man? And that's all I know about that. I couldn't tell you what they meant by two places at once, but they said it several times. And I've thought about it, and I've thought about it every day. Every day I thought about how a person or something or someone could be two places at one time. And that's one of the biggest mysteries I came out there with, man. Uh, I just, that's one of the big unanswered questions. Why that bothers me, why I think about it so much, I have no idea. But I think about it all the time. I was thinking about it. And this is a story I came up with. Because I was thinking about it this morning. Thinking about talking to you again. 
two places at one time, man. So I'm just standing there, and these boys are looking at me in their sunglasses and looking at whatever they're looking at. And there's a guy up there with a key fob, and there's two guys up there with him now, and, and they're talking, and, and I'm just, I'm in another world at this point, man. I can't, I can't even hardly, I can't even hardly think. My ears are ringing. I feel this weird pulsation on my body and my feet. You know, I, I'm worried about, I'm worried about, I'm going to be sick, man. I'm going to be sick, I'm going to throw up all over this fucking floor, and I'm going to ruin this demonstration, and I'm, I'm going to get, I'm going to get, probably end up in some mental institution somewhere, and, and they're going to, world's going to forget about me and not even know who I am, man. <laughs> I didn't know what the fuck to think at this point, brother. I had no idea if I was going to get out of this again. It was just, it was... It was that desperate, man. It was that desperate. So, they start talking about research and development, and what the future's gonna hold for people who are gonna look into this, and and uh, they, who was gonna, where they gonna, where they gonna go with this technology, and 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 how far they will take us in the future and whatnot. One of the things that really stuck out in my mind is they were talking about national security and, and never have to worry about, never have to worry about anyone penetrating the, the boundaries of the U.S. or any of our territories. Can you imagine that, man? Can you imagine having that much security where you don't have to worry about, worry about our enemies? You know what? I made me think about what what what's a war gonna look like? What's what's it gonna look like on the battlefield? What does that mean for us, man? If we go 95% speed of light and we can have invisibility and cloaking ability, can you imagine that, man? So they did one more round of questions for about 15 minutes. It was real quick, like, and it was over, man. And it was over. Nothing too dramatic at that point. Everybody started to leave. I was looking straight ahead. And a couple guys came. And they started talking to my, one of my buddies to the left of me. And then the next guy came up to to the uh, from the other end and, and started talking to these dudes that I was with. And when they got to me, said, that's all. That's it for today, boys. That's it for today, man. And I say, so what do you mean that's it? We're done? What, where do we go now? Your day's done, man. You can go wherever you need to go. Can I move? Can I turn around? The guy said, yeah, you turn around, man. So I turn around. A couple of my boys are walking toward me, and they're looking at the ground. They're looking at that red stripe. And you can see that red stripe. It was, it was depressed into the floor about a half an inch. And you could just see it fill in. You know, it wasn't like, wasn't like it was a line at that point. It was like it had dropped maybe an inch or two into the ground. And then it just kind of filled itself back in. Like it was broken.
broken up or it's sunken, sunken down or, or whatever or whatnot. But in my personal opinion, that's a big elevator and they brought something out from underground and it was a sight to behold, man. It was a sight to behold. I went back and I took a shower. I took about a, a 40 minute shower, man, 45 minutes. I probably drank about three gallons of Gatorade and I didn't wake up again until 6 a.m. the next day. It took me about two weeks to recover from that one, man. It drained me of everything I had, man. And there was more yet to come. Hey everybody, it's Cam Brower and I'd like you to check out my Alien Life patron page. What is it? Think of it as an online tip jar. My Alien Life patron page is a website that gives everyone in the world an opportunity to become a patron and support artists they believe in. The great thing about supporting My Alien Life is you get to decide how much you feel comfortable contributing to each podcast. My goal is to keep doing at least two podcasts each week. And it's okay if you want to put a cap on how much you'd like to support every month so you don't go over your budget. As you know, some weeks I get a burst of energy and I want to produce a lot of new content. I'll keep producing episode after episode and you'll get all the content. I won't hold back and make you pay for extra content. And if you just want to listen without becoming a patron, that's awesome. You still get to hear all my Alien Life podcasts for free. It's expensive to make a podcast. There's electronic gear, web domain fees, web hosting fees, t-shirts, postage stamps, tinfoil hats, alien assault spray, and more. No matter what you decide, please always listen to the podcast. That's what I really want. We're a team and your support is what keeps people like us going. Thank you so much for being amazing and keep listening to my Alien Life podcast. Now back to more BJ Evans as he talks about Area 51. I described a lot of these situations I was in as the beginning of the end. Now I don't really know if that was the beginning of the end like that or what. But all I know is that after that, I was like a red-headed stepchild on base. I, I couldn't. It was just, just games after that, man. I mean, I couldn't get any straight answers from anybody. It didn't seem like, like I could do anything right. And just started having all kinds of problems. Things started to unravel. And I'll tell you what, right now, man, I couldn't, my health-wise, after that event, I never felt even 75% after that, man. I was always tired. I was sick a lot, had stomach problems, skin trouble, 
dry and flaky skin all over my body and I itch from head to toe. Now, all these boys that I work with, they seem to be doing just fine. They didn't seem to have any problems like I did. And I don't really know if they experienced some of the same stuff that I experienced when we were, when we were there and we were, we were part of that demonstration. You know, and I was thinking, you know, were we part of that demonstration or were we there? What were we there for, man? What were we there for, man? What did they do to me or us? And why? what was my purpose there, man? Other than just to stand there and look official-like, man. I don't know. I don't know. But again, I think that was just the beginning of the end. And I never got rid of that feeling when I was just done. I was just done. I had no energy inside of me. I had nothing left to give. I had nothing left. And, and you know, I'd gone to the infirmary, and, and even I couldn't even get any help there, man. They, they acted like I was, like I had the plague. If I had the plague, they should have been, should have been taking care of me, man. It's like they didn't even want to touch me. They could hardly even listen to do vital signs or anything like that. Listen to my heart, take my blood pressure. It's like they didn't even want to touch me for that, man. And these are professional doctors that, <clears throat> that have a very specific detail and duty and, and a duty to the country. And that, you know, I... Let's back up a little bit, man. You know... Like I was saying last time we got, I got cut off, I apologize for that. These people have a way of making you feel like you own their life. And then when your life is in danger, they have a way of making you feel like you ain't nothing, like your life ain't worth shit, man. So that was happening, that, that, that's what was happening here now. And, and yeah, that was the beginning of the end, Cameron. That was the beginning of the end. I was one sick dude after that. And I don't know why. I don't know why. I think, I think the stress finally got to me, maybe Maybe I was exposed to something, you know, being underground and all, whatnot. So I'm not sure what it was, but I know stress now to think back, you know, when I, even when I tell the story right now, you know, man, I, I could just feel, I could feel that, that tension building my neck and I could feel headaches coming back. I could feel stomach, stomach problems I got coming back. Well, it was those migraine headaches, man. You know, I sat there day after day after day, trying to do my work, trying to do my job, trying to do my duty, trying to make it to retirement so I can have a strong, strong, healthy income after my retirement. And I tried to make it, man. Cameron, I tried to make it. I couldn't make it, man. I couldn't. You know, I got to the point where, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I got to the point where I was I was, it was, it was either, it was either me or them, man. I didn't know if I was going to have to uh, just take off one day or, or, you know, if I had a few days off, I may not come back. Then again, they may have just find me hanging, hanging by a rope in, in my, in my bedroom. Believe me, man, I used to stare at the ceiling every night looking at that, looking at that ceiling and I, you know, I knew... And was planning I could fix something up and, 
Yeah, I could just make it on land if I have to. But that was for later. Maybe if I had to, you know, I'm a tough dude, man. But I'm a tough dude. But you know, things things just got too much, man. So everything's back to normal for a week or two. You know, I take my boys down with me, and we we would do some jobs, and and uh, we would we would have some have some work detail that 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 uh you know it, it wasn't that hard, but with the headaches and whatnot and the stress, you know, every day it seemed like even if I only worked a six to eight hour day, it seemed like I was out there for days, man. Just so uncomfortable, so uncomfortable. So. This, this is another story. I don't even know where to start on this, man, but this is what happened, and, and we got some orders, and basically, how that worked was, one of the, one of the boys that, uh, you know, oversaw all our supervision, he, uh, he was, he was a contractor. He wasn't, didn't work for the, for the Air Force or the Army or anything. He, he was a contractor, and this dude would, would meet us, and uh, we'd see him in the morning, and sometimes we'd see him later in the day. He'd come by, and he'd have he'd have an envelope, and basically it, it would have a, a work order in it. And you know, it, it didn't look any different than most work orders that you would see, you know, in any other businesses. Later on, I worked for some some places, you know, kind of, you know, and we would get work orders, and and uh, maybe we'd have a job, we'd go out. Well, these these look pretty much the same, and it, and you know these. This was a contractor, so he, he basically, he was the boss of my boys that I had to just kind of sit there and watch. And I was just security detail, but I'd get a copy, and basically he would tell me where we were supposed to go. And my orders were, you know, those boys, they went directly to that job site. Sometimes we had transportation, sometimes we walked, sometimes we drove their vehicles, but, but it was always always for certain that we went directly there we went d- directly back to back to the rack or back to back to mess hall or wherever after we were done so we got some work orders and there was a there was a, a building on there and there was no map there was no location just said that, that we would be picked up and the boys were supposed to take their trucks and that's what we did, man. So one morning, eight o'clock in the morning, we hopped into these white trucks, kind of like a suburban, I guess you could call it now. And they drove us about a half mile, man. And I've looked that place up on Google Maps, and you you can see where we went. You can see we were just at the base of the hill. And as we were driving up, it looked just like a hill. And I thought, well, maybe we're gonna, maybe we're gonna go, you know, through these hills and through one of these gravel roads like we've done a couple of times. And maybe we find ourselves a, a big building there or, or, or whatnot, because there's buildings all over that desert. That, that place has been occupied and had all kinds of stuff going on there for years, for years. So we pulled up to this hillside. It was on our right. 
where you kind of drive south, maybe a little west-southwest. And the road, it's a gravel road, you can see right there on Google Maps, man, it kind of takes a little left, it goes around this little knoll. And from what I could see, or should I say, from what I couldn't see before, I could see it now, there was an opening about 10 feet high right in the side of the hill, just like if you took a laser beam and you sliced out that hillside. And there was an opening there. I know you couldn't see it from, from out of space or from, 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 you know, even if you were south of it or north of it, but if you were out, straight out from it, maybe right out on the desert flats, maybe right there somewhere in the middle of Groom Lake, a quarter mile, you'd be looking at basically a real shadowy, long rectangle which was basically a hole cut perfectly in, in the desert there man we got out of the truck we got out of the truck man and we walked toward it and basically it looked like we're, we're just gonna walk into a real real rectangular shaped cave but I noticed something right away, and I know it surprised the boys as well. And I had a feeling, you know, I, I, they they knew they they knew a lot more than they let on. But this surprised them too. That ground we were walking on, we walked on ground that looked exactly like that a hundred times before. This was no ground. This was no this was no desert floor. This was no Green Lake floor. This was rubber, man. We were walking on rubber, and I'll tell you what. Not long ago, I'm I'm at a football game for my nephew, and I was walking along the field along the track, and that ground-up rubber track. Same thing, man. But this was white. This was white, and it was it was just like it was painted to look exactly like the like the desert floor, man. It was rubber. We've been driving on rubber because they it didn't make no dust, man. And you could see right where we stopped, and you could see right there that that, that rubber track and, and that, that dirt trail that we've been driving on. That was rubber too, man. And that that indentations and and uh, whatnot color of, of what would be the what would be the what would be the the, the trail and what we were driving on in the desert and, and you know I wouldn't be surprised if those plants growing out there too were made of rubber or something like it but we were there we had to walk into that darkness and it was pitch black there was nobody there and one of those dudes that drove us there he just said go ahead and we walked through this opening in this side of the hill Two dudes stepped out of the shadows. And they said, Boys, you at S4. I said, S4? What the hell? And that's where I stopped. Because I knew I'd said too much right there. And that old boy said, As far as you're concerned, as far as we're concerned, this is just one of those places, another one of those places that we don't talk about. I said, yes, sir. And walked in there. Walked into that darkness. Yeah.
You can find my website at www.myalienlifepodcast.com and please subscribe to my latest downloads at iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and at podbean.com. And please follow me and like me on Facebook and Twitter. My Alien Life is written and produced for broadcast at Studio 254 in the Northern Rocky Mountains. The music you are hearing is produced and created by Elion. You can find all Elion's work online at Heart Dance Records. Thank you.